Good day everyone, this is your host Dr. Kurdi. Thank you for joining us for a brand new episode of the GI Startup Podcast. Today's episode is quite interesting. Today I'll be talking to Peter Mountney, co-founder and CEO of Odin Vision. Peter Mountney is a computer scientist by training. He did his PhD and postdoctoral work at the Imperial College. He trained in processing laparoscopic and endoscopic imaging. After his training, he left to work for Siemens Healthcare, where he was involved in multiple health applications of artificial intelligence, particularly in image processing space, where he was involved in multiple projects, including ultrasound, CT scanning, as well as cardiology imaging. He later joined collaborators at UCL to spin out his current company, Odin Vision, which currently specializes in artificial intelligence applications in colonoscopy and endoscopy. This is going to be a really fun conversation. Let's jump right into it. Okay, uh, welcome, Peter Mountney. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm really excited about today's interview. Today's going to be actually our first in a series of interviews with some of the companies that are pioneering artificial intelligence technology in endoscopy and colonoscopy. And uh, what a place to start, Odin Vision. So uh, welcome, Peter. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, re- really exciting. Great, great to see um, um, things like this taking off and, and really excited to, to be here. So thank you for the invitation. Wonderful. All right. So um, let's jump right into it. Um, <laughs> let's start with um, a question that always comes to mind whenever I read Odin Vision or I think about you guys is, where does the name come from? Absolutely. So uh, Odin is a, a Norse god, and uh, he actually gave up one of his eyes, uh, and in return he gained unparalleled knowledge of the universe. And so we like to think that um, in endoscopy we typically have a single camera or a single eye, but we want to bring that vast knowledge through artificial intelligence and machine learning into the field of endoscopy. Wonderful, wonderful. That's actually what I thought. I'm a big nerd. I like Marvel movies and uh, Odin is uh, Thor's father, right? <laughs> That's actually, though, a, a very, very nice name and a, and a really cool way to uh, describe your vision and, and your mission statement, basically. Okay, Peter, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, where, where did your story begin and uh, how do you end up here? So I, I'm a computer scientist by training. I did my undergraduate and master's degree in, in computer science um, with a focus on, on um, computer vision in particular. I then went on to study a PhD and postdoctoral work in um, the processing of, of endoscopic and laparoscopic videos using you know, really early, early machine learning um, to process those um, images and those, those videos. And I, and I did that work at Imperial College. I was there for about... Um, uh, five years uh, work, working on lots of different topics, for, um, looking at everything from kind of um, endoscopy through to laparoscopic surgery and, and really trying to um, take the sort of cutting edge uh, of machine learning back in the early 2000s um, and, uh, and seeing how we could uh, prototype and bring new ways of, of improving um, clinical practice. Um, after that, I really wanted to be at that uh, point of transition. So that point of transferring technology into clinical applications. And that's very difficult to do in, um, in academia. 
And so at that point, I moved in, moved to Siemens Healthcare, and I worked at Siemens Healthcare for about a decade uh, in Germany, the US and the UK, uh, building all types of uh, different machine learning platforms uh, for um, everything from cardiac intervention to ultrasound to to MRI uh, and, and things like laparoscopic um, uh, imaging and, and surgery as well. Um, and then about uh, three years ago, I suppose, almost three years ago, I reconnected with a uh, an old colleague of mine uh, who's now a professor at, at UCL, Professor uh, Daniil Stanoyev. Um, and um, he was telling me about this technology that the doctors were really excited about. Uh, and he was saying, look, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're um, spinning it out. They want to translate this into something that can impact patients and, and, and Im impact clinical practice. And at that point, I, I came on board to, to lead really the, the transition of Odin from the research that had been pioneered at, at UCL over the past 20 years um, into uh, technology that could really impact patients and be brought into clinical practice. That's a really cool story. And you seem to have as much experience as anybody can ever get in image processing and you seem to be in the exact right place. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what can I say? I, I've looked at an awful lot of videos uh, over, over my lifetime uh, again and again of, of lots of different parts of the inside of, of, of the body. Um, and, and I think knowing the data is really, really important. And so going through those processes of, of you know, building prototypes from scratch, understanding the problems in, in depth, those are really critical to building successful tools that can be translated into clinical applications. Wonderful. Any particular reason why GI? You mentioned laparoscopy, you mentioned um, a lot of different imaging and a lot of different image processing fields. Any particular reasons why uh, pursue GI? Yeah, so um, for um, the type of um, data that we're working with, we're mostly working with, with video data. And Pers from a personal point of view, I find that the most interesting and, and, and fun data to work with, as opposed to kind of an MRI or a CT or, or something like that. Um, so that that type is is really interesting data to to work with. Um, so purely from a technical point of view, it's it's challenging, it's exciting. There's a lot you can do with it. Um, but from an application point of view, really the technology we've developed and, and we we call what we've built a kind of machine learning factory where you put data in one end and you get clinical applications out the other end. And, and um, our vision is that we are not just a, a GI company. We, we can apply our technology to, um, to, to surgery, to, uh, um, to, to lots of different applications, and we're already starting to work on, on some of those applications as well. So um, we're not just a, a GI company. We, we, the, the applications go way, way beyond, uh, beyond that. Well, why did we start there? Um, the, I think everyone started with, with polyp detection because it's, it's a really clear um, clinical need. Um, there's lots of studies that show polyps are missed, and, and it's kind of a, um, one of the lower-hanging fruits of, of, of being able to get in there and get into to the um, uh, first uh, clinical application. So it was, um, it's, it's a really a starting point for us, um, but I think there's also really a, a huge opportunity in, um, in GI as well. To, uh, and what we love about GI is the doctors are really receptive really excited about things like artificial intelligence and cloud endoscopy. And so that that makes uh, life really, really uh, 10 times easier, 10 times better, 10 times more exciting. 
Wonderful. I'm, I'm really happy that you're getting this response from uh, physicians in our field. That is really awesome. Why don't we um, talk a little bit about Odin Vision for those who don't know what you guys do. So tell us a little bit about it. What is it that you guys have built? What are you building? We see ourselves as a cloud endoscopy company that is also doing artificial intelligence. So what do I mean by cloud endoscopy? I mean, we have a very small low-cost device. It plugs into the back of any endoscopy stack, and we stream those images in real time to the cloud. And we are able to process those images in the cloud and then send back results uh, immediately to the doctor. And, you know, we, we do that incredibly fast. We built, you know, a lot of technology to make that that possible and to make it so fast that you really can't even notice that there's uh, that, that it's leaving the hospital. It's going to the cloud and it's, it's coming back as well. So the reason we're excited about cloud endoscopy is that once you get the data out in, into the cloud, you can do so much more with it. So if you are um, deploying artificial intelligence, for example, on a box that sits on, on the stack, you're kind of limited in your processing power. You, you Maybe you've got an FPGA, maybe you've got a GPU, um, but um, these GPUs, the processing power of them, it, it just changes so much over time. And if you are stuck with buying one of those boxes in five years time, it's going to look so old. It's going to look like a VHS when everyone else is on Netflix, right? So we want to get the data into the cloud because we kind of bypass all of those problems with, with aging hardware. And we can do lots of things in parallel. So in our products today, in our colonoscopy product called Caddy, we are doing polyp detection, we're doing bowel prep scoring, we're doing cecum detection, we're doing, um, uh, we, we, we're, uh, what are we doing? We're doing uh, characterization as well, right? So we've got, uh, and we've actually got a bunch of other machine learning models that are hidden from, from the user. They're not clinically uh, shown to the user. And so we've got loads and loads of machine learning going on in the background. And you wanna be able to do that in the cloud because you can scale dramatically. And what we, so, so that's the clinical product today. But what we've got to deploy in a couple of hospitals already is that um, in the background, we are also doing recognizing when you're doing exploration, recognizing when you're doing cleaning, recognizing when you're doing therapy, recognizing the tools that you're using. And all of those things take an individual machine learning model and trying to squeeze all of that onto one box is, is, is just not practical. It's not scalable for the future. So we're really excited about the, the cloud and the doctors we're working with and, and our customers are super excited about the, the potential of, of what that can bring. So in terms of what we've got out there today, we, we're on the market in Europe. So we're CE marked and UK CA marked for two products. The first one is uh, colonoscopy, which is uh, the CADI system I mentioned before. And as I said, it does detection, it does characterization, uh, cecum detection and, and, and bowel prep scoring. Uh, and then we've got our upper GI product called CADU, uh, which is uh, doing the detection, the delineation and characterization of uh, dysplasia versus versus Barrett's. Um, so those are our two products that are around today. We've uh, recently released uh, just at the end of last year our ACE uh, reporting tool, which is doing all of those things that, that doctors have to do at the end of a procedure, um, those time consuming things that you do over and over again. And, and the goal of that tool is really to take that burden away from the doctors, 
make the reporting more consistent and also to um, to free up time so doctors can spend more time uh, with their patients. And just in a, as an example, what type of stuff does it record? Yeah, so um, it's it's really all of those things that I talked about that we're doing in the background there. So so let, let's take a simple one, which is uh, withdrawal time. So we should all, you know, withdrawal time should all... The, the guidance is six minutes and and it should be um should be recorded now um you know i i've been in hospitals where they they're you know timing the minute they see the cecum and they're, they're taking out all of the different um therapy phases the cleaning phases and the moment they finish the procedure they're stopping the kind of stopwatch and i've been in places where they kind of like shout out when they reach the cecum and someone writes something on a bit of paper and then at the end they kind of you know guess it so you know, there's huge variation in the way that it's done, the way that it's reported. But what we're able to do is, you know, we're able to find that that cecum, that starting point of the withdrawal. We can then time it till the end of the procedure. But then the, the tough bit is really taking out all the bits that don't count as withdrawal time. So taking out that therapy phase, taking out the um, the, the characterization phase, taking out the cleaning, those, those types of things are, are really tough. Um, and then we go on to the other things like polyp sizing. You know, we always need need to report that 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 uh, uh, polyp sizing in the um, uh, at the end of the procedure, a and all of those kind of things that you you can imagine you spend your time on at, at the end of procedures. The characterization, the the Paris classification, all, all of those normal things. Th those are things that we want to take off the shoulders of the doctor. We, we don't want to do it fully automatically. The doctor still needs to be there. The doctor still needs to be the one saying, yeah, that's that's what it was. I'm confirming that. that I, actually, I think it was something different or I've got reasons to believe th this needs to be changed. But we, we really want to free up that or, or accelerate that workflow and free up the doctor's time. That's wonderful. That actually sounds amazing. Can it possibly tell where in the colon you are? For example, if you find a polyp in the transverse colon, is it possible to tell that this is in the transverse or in the descending? Or yeah, absolutely. So, what we we're actually collaborating on a on a European um, horizon, what's called a Horizon Twenty Twenty project, and we're we're collaborating with University College London, um, Zaragoza, Claremont, um, and a, a couple of hospitals. And the goal of that project is whole bowel mapping. And we've got some early work that shows that, you know, we're using um, technology called simultaneous localization and mapping. It's the same technology that's in, in driverless cars. It's the same technology that's used in, in drones to be able to map an environment and then navigate through that environment. And we've got some great early prototype work on that that shows we can create not, not just a... Um, uh, uh, understanding where we are in the bowel at a particular time, but at the end of the procedure, give you a map of the entire bowel. And that gets super, super exciting when we think about things like bowel prep scoring, for example. It's it's really a kind of rough estimate today. But if you have a, a, a 3D model of the bowel and you apply something like our, our bowel prep scoring technology today, we'll be able to tell you exactly what percentage of the bowel you've seen uh, because uh, uh, and what percentage of that that scene area is covered in fecal matter as well, and, and you really start to enter into totally different territories, totally different quantitative metrics for understanding the quality of a procedure. Um, but so, so that's kind of the long, you know, a, a big long term goal, and and those maps can then be used for things like longitudinal 
um, uh, studies. So understanding, you know, as, as patients uh, are scanned year on year on year, how their diseases are progressing, where the polyps are, where are the missed areas as well. That sounds super exciting. And uh, let me ask you, does this happen, you know, this mapping process, does it happen in real time or does it happen retrospectively? And the reason I'm asking is, would we expect at some point in the future um, the AI system to tell you, for example, look behind that fold because you missed that or clean that area better because um, it's not clean enough or something like that? Yeah, so we're a little bit careful about the way that we um, deliver the information because we, we want to be delivering nudges, not, not instructions, um, because the doctor is still the one that, that's, you know, uh, at the heart of the, the procedure and, 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 and um and that's always going to be the case, and that's always going to be the, the most important thing. So, uh, for example, the, the way our bowel prep scoring works today is it, it, it gives you a, a, a score live as to, you know, how, how clean the bowel is, right? So as you're going along, you're going to get a little nudge to remind you, okay, you know, you, you probably need to be doing some cleaning here, right? Um, but we're not explicitly telling the doctor, you, you need to clean here, right? Um, and that's going to be the kind of the... the all, those nudges are going to constantly be the way that we deliver information to, to the doctor rather than explicit things during the, the procedure. What I, the, the, the way I think quality will evolve is that um, those, those maps, so those kind of maps of the entire procedure, those can be computed afterwards and can give you those metrics afterwards so that you'll be able to tell, okay, um, you, you know, uh, at a certain point in time, uh, okay, this doctor probably wasn't doing as much cleaning as they should have been doing. Um, and so you'll be able to see that change over time, right? How many patients were coming in? Uh, but, you know, also taking into account things like, okay, inpatients tend to have worse prep than than other ones. Um, but also what's, what's really interesting is you, you'll be able to understand, for example, the difference in quality between the, the bowel prep drink that you know your, your bowel prep of of choice right and so there'll be really much much clearer and much more detailed evidence distinguishing these um the, the these types of things that are used to to support um uh, colonoscopy procedures wonderful it sounds like um this is going to add a lot to our quality measures our quality improvement it's gonna make things a lot more steady and streamlined i think that's really wonderful all right, so I think you've already answered this question, uh, but you know, in AI and in, in uh, endoscopy and in medicine in general, um, there are two types that we are looking at. One of them is called CAD E, which is um, the computer assisted detection, um, and the other is called CAD X, which is computer assisted diagnosis. And it, it, just in a nutshell, what's the difference between those and how far along is Odin Vision in developing each category of these? Great, thank you. So the um, so around the the CAD E, so the the detection part. So so we've got a for colonoscopy, we've got our polyp detection. It's it's already out there. We've got customers uh, using it. We're deployed in in hospitals uh, all over Europe. Um, so so people are using it every day. Um, to to support their procedures and it's it's going to be in it's in two clinical trials today uh, another one starting uh, soon as well so um, it's really out there it's being used we've had it uh, for over a year now uh, even longer 18 months um, been out there being used uh, so super exciting uh, around that uh, for 
the 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 CADEX, the detection part, it's the same. We've had it for the same uh, time. So we we do a characterization. So we always are careful to say we're not making a diagnosis. Uh, we're, we're supporting. We're a clinical decision support tool. So we help the doctor. We are not replacing the doctor. We're not replacing the the diagnosis. And so we uh, analyze those images, and we we are able to tell the doctor whether it's a um, uh, an adenoma or a, a non-adenoma, um, and so th that's out there again. That's being used all of the time. Um, it's it's uh, uh, you know regularly used in 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 hospitals all, all over Europe at the moment. And uh, you know uh, we, we're obviously uh, coming to to the US and you know looking to make some some exciting announcements uh, this year in the US. Well, uh, I can't wait, can't wait to hear about those. Um, okay, so, uh, you know, in, in your opinion, being the CEO of a major company in uh, artificial intelligence and endoscopy, um, what are the biggest challenges, the biggest kind of hurdles in the way of this technology um, at this time, and how do you expect these to play out in the future? Yeah, so the um, there's always lots of hurdles uh, as, as you try to bring this uh, technology to uh, um, into clinical use. I have to say, in my experience, <clears throat> one of the biggest uh, challenges is is usually uh, convincing doctors and, um, and and getting them to to uptake the technology and get them excited about technology. I have to say, in GI, uh, we don't see that as much. They, they, it seems that you guys have already kind of drunk the kool-aid you're super excited about these things and and incredibly well informed as as well um we we uh you know in in the sort of you know uh previous uh companies previous um products i built you, you always go in and you start explaining the problem you start explaining the technology and you start explaining how you you're going to help patients and you're going to help um the doctors we have to. We don't really have to do as much of that uh, today in, in in GI because um, there, there's so much excitement a, a around this this field. Um, I think one of the the challenges um, is is always going to be the variation that we see in practice and uh, in practice in data in application in healthcare systems as well. So whilst we kind of say, well, you know, a colonoscopy in one country is the same as a colonoscopy in a in another country, actually, that you know, there are differences. There are differences in in the practices of it. There are differences in the the guidelines of it, and and there are differences in the healthcare payers uh, and, and and how reimbursement works as well, and differences in clinical evidence. Um, so I, I think it's really that variation that that, that makes it um, challenging. I think we're, we're super super lucky that. We, we've been able to work with doctors from all over the world. And because we have a cloud deployed system, when we're working with those doctors and when we have agreements with the hospitals to do so, we're able to collect that data very, very easily. It's all uploaded to the cloud. It's anonymized. And we can use that data to constantly improve our, our algorithms, constantly improve our, our, um, our, our robustness and generalizability. And one of the really exciting things about um, being cloud-based as well is that we update our, our system once a month. Whereas in my previous life um, in, in you know big healthcare companies, you're updating things. If you're really, really good, you're updating them once a year. Generally, it's kind of once every two years. And you need someone to come around with a USB stick 
to kind of plug it in. You lose, you know, figure out when they can do that. And and that's just not how the world works. It's not how anything else in the world works these days, right? So, you know, we're that's really exciting about the cloud is, you know, we, we're going to be uh, adding features all of the time, at improving performance all of the time, and, and it really zero effort from, from the doctors as well. That's wonderful. I keep thinking whenever you mention the cloud, there are actually a couple of companies working on browsing over the cloud um, just because... You know, a lot of the time, and I, I run across this problem all, all the time myself, is I have uh, maybe 30 or 35 tabs open um, and my computer starts having a stroke uh, and then everything slows down. And basically, if you're using browsing over the cloud, you can actually use a supercomputer that's somewhere else uh, that can handle uh, thousands of tabs at the same time. And you, you get the benefit of that. And I guess... Um, that's what you guys are doing is that instead of relying on your own processing power and maybe having to update your um, device every um, so and so because processing power increases with time if you have it over the cloud that really resolves that problem completely right and and, and why shouldn't you as a doctor doing a really important job have access to the same kind of things you use at home right the same kind of um, uh, technology that you use day in day out to to live your life. So that that's um, it's kind of a no brainer. When when you kind of go down that route, you realize the benefits just keep coming and coming and coming. And it it's it's kind of gets you you can run away with it and it gets super exciting because the number of applications, the number of areas that you can run in parallel, it, it's uh, re really phenomenal. And the other thing to say is that you know today. The most of the machine learning systems that are being developed are, are developed to work on on GPUs, which is a graphical processing unit. Um, but and, and these largely replace CPUs for for you know computing, uh, which we all have in our laptops and our, our you know our, our old desktop computers. Um, and and they largely replace CPUs for for you know processing and and of uh, 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 data. Um, but GPUs, although they're doing phenomenal things and they're changing all of the time. If you actually look at how hardware is progressing, there's really exciting things like TPUs, so tensor processing units, and even quantum computing as well. And you know th these are uh, computational paradigms that are just going to change the world completely. And by bringing the data to the cloud, you're going to have access uh, as a doctor in your 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 endoscopy room. You're going to have access to the world's most powerful supercomputers doing things that are just phenomenal. And that is clearly where we're going to be in, in, in 10 years anyway. And we can do it today. So why shouldn't we be doing it today? Absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And I guess also the cloud gives you guys the power to build your database instantly in real time so that you know your additional colonoscopies that your physicians are doing can go into the computer, into the machine learning protocols right away, rather than having to maybe get them from your different hospitals at certain times or something like that. So that's really, really a powerful tool as well. All right. So whenever we talk about health tech startups, there are three questions that come to mind. Um, and there are, you know, how does the technology helps patients? How does it help physicians? And how does it help I guess you know helping patients is uh, pretty simple. It's um, increasing detection, reducing hopefully the 
a uh, number of interval cancers, helping physicians, probably like you said, helping with documentation, as well as assisting them to increase their adenoma detection rates and helping kind of make their practice more efficient. But you know, the question that comes to mind is how does this benefit the pair the way you see this going? Right. There's, um, I think when we talk about artificial intelligence or cloud endoscopy and, and how it's going to impact all of those things, so the patient, the doctor, the, the payer, um, it's, it's really important to understand that each of the applications of, of AI is going to have a different value proposition. So if we think about uh, what you mentioned before, detection, so the 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 obvious improvement in detection for the patient is they we're going to detect more polyps that that kind of you know uh, stat that gets uh, thrown around around 25% of polyps are, are missed you know the, the goal is 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 to reduce those those number of missed polyps and that's obviously beneficial for the doctor their ADR rates will go up it's beneficial to the patient um, but the value proposition there for the um, the hospital is that or, or, or the payer sorry is that um, uh, you're going to save downstream costs associated with surgery, for example, due to missed, um, due to interval cancers. Now that plays out very differently in different countries. So, for example, in in the UK, we are now putting in place in the NHS cross pathway economic mo- healthcare economic models, and so we're able to go to hospitals and say, look, you know. Th- polyp detection is going to save you money but you you might only see that saving in in a couple of years time when and that saving is going to be in a different department as well it's not going to be in the endoscopy department um so it really depends on how the payers are uh, are set up in 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 order to do that um so if we look at say um uh, characterization for example then again that's a different value proposition if uh, doctors are using the characterization to support them to make an optical diagnosis, then you're foregoing that um, histopathology, histopathological test. Uh, and so you don't need to send that away for for testing. Um, and, and so that cost doesn't exist anymore. And so that's a pretty easy kind of thing to to model from from a, a benefit for um, payer point of view, because we're, we were able to to reduce the costs of, of delivering um a service. Um, really, the quality is a very interesting one. So we, we talked earlier about, you know, those detection and diagnosis. When we think about the areas that are going to be impacted, it's it's detection, it's diagnosis, it's therapy, and it's quality as well. Th- those are kind of the big ones we, we tend to think about. And that quality one is is um, is really important. So knowing for, for, for a payer to know that a, a high quality endoscopy is being uh, delivered um, to that patient, that that's really important. And, and knowing that they they don't have to the payer isn't going to have to pay out in, in future for surgery or something like that when the healthcare costs are uh, when, when those polyps are missed or the the. the um, that the, the patient develops an interval cancer, for example, that those are really important um, uh, elements as well. Wonderful. So I guess there are two main points. The first one is basically it's the long run that matters. Um, it's uh, convincing the pair that this is going to matter on the long run. You just have to wait. Of course, I, I know you guys are already building data for that to show that it does matter on the long run. And I guess the second point is uh, maybe possibly foregoing histopathological examination or something like that 
Um, although I, I don't know if we're there yet in terms of foregoing that. You know, a lot of the time we, we remove polyps and uh, the histopathology comes back with an actual, um, uh, you know, cancer or malignant cells within that polyp. I don't know if, are you guys working on anything that can detect, for example, based on that polyp morphology, uh, the possibility of, um, uh, of malignancy? Yeah, so, so it's a really great question. Um, and uh, I think we, we often hear this, right, that, that you know, Everyone's removed a polyp and thought it was one thing, and then it comes back and it's it's another thing. And the point probably to make there is that those are the ones that really stick in your mind. Um, but the hundreds and hundreds and thousands where you got it right, though you kind of forget about those. So if you look at the statistics of how often for diminutive polyps, you know, it comes back and it's cancerous, it's really it's a really, really small number. So I think the implementation of this technology is is super important here, uh, and the guidelines are kind of you know pushing it down uh, the route of, of diminutive polyps uh, to to start with even even you know re rectal polyps uh, as well. So the guidelines are going to be be very important, but the statistics are also re really really key as well. So the the number that really get missed is really really tiny, and we 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 know that. Um, what what is also interesting is that we often hear this. Um, this this argument, uh, you know, we're, we we want to send everything away to uh, pathology because we, we want to get it double checked. But actually, in the UK, um, the guidance or, or the what we call the JAG um, um, uh, levels for polyp retrieval is ninety percent or above. And there's papers out there that show okay, I think the average is about eight percent. And the uh, sorry is about ninety two percent, but it goes down to about eighty one percent. So you know you're talking about nineteen percent in in some places. Nineteen percent of polyps aren't being retrieved; they aren't being sent for for pathology. Uh, and what's the really exciting and great thing uh, about um, products like our, our Caddy product is that you're getting that diagnosis before the the polyps are removed, and you get to keep that even if the polyp is lost. You still get to keep that um, that 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 characterization, that assessment of it. Really cool. I, I I like that answer because it's true. I mean, a lot of the time uh, we remove polyps and we can't retrieve them, and then kind of have to rely on your judgment. That's absolutely true. Let me ask you this, and I don't know if this has come up yet. It probably has, but have you guys heard anything about liability? in regards to um, the technology, missing polyps or anything like that? Has that uh, come up and in what capacity? Yes, yeah, so the, the question comes up uh, quite often. Uh, and I think there's there's quite a bit of confusion in the, the um, clinical community, not just in GI, but, but across the board, in, in where does the liability lie? Uh, I have to say from a company's point of view, it's usually very clear where the liability lies. Uh, and it's it's not going to be the same for every product and every company. And the reason for that is it really comes down to the regulatory claims that you are making for your device. So what we see in GI at the moment is it, um, products like Caddy and Cadu are clinical decision support tools. They are there to help the doctor. They are not there to replace decision-making. They're there to support it. 
And so currently the liability is is uh, still remains with the doctor because the doctor is the one in control and the doctor is the one making those those decisions. Um, and for something like polyp detection, I, I don't really see that changing um, particularly. Now, when we talk about something like characterization, if we move up the regulatory levels to something like a, a diagnostic tool, um, and if you're making claims about being a, a diagnostic tool, that you're really taking or, or giving that information that this is a specific diagnosis and these are the accuracy rating for that diagnostic tool. And, and that's the same way that a pathology is that, you know, pathology systems might be a diagnostic tool or, or any other diagnostic test that's out there. When you move into that realm of actually delivering diagnostic information, that's when the, the shift in liability um, happens. Wonderful. That, that actually clears things up um, very well. Because you know when you when you move to the diagnosis realm, then you can actually say that this is a ninety percent chance that this is this or that, um, and then you're actually making a claim that is actionable, and a physician will actually be swayed one way or the other towards that. A question that that I've always thought of when I think about AI and um, colonoscopy or endoscopy as well is there an option to kind of increase or decrease the sensitivity or aggressiveness of the algorithm um, I'm guessing that you know it, it you know depends on certain features of a polyp maybe that it's raised or something like that is there a, somewhere in the software going to be a bar where the physician says I want it to detect everything or I don't want it to bother me that much is there anything like that yeah the, what you're talking about there is, is the balance between um, sensitivity and specificity of a, of a system and how many false positives do you do you want to see versus um, how many polyps you know might might the system miss, for example, and, and not necessarily miss, but not pick them up when they're really subtle or, or, or early or, or something like that. Um, and that's a pretty uh, delicate balance to to get. Um, if you have too many false positives or, or, or what we call false al false alarms, um, so if you have too many false alarms per minute, the the doctors just aren't going to adopt the technology. It's just not going to be feasible. Um, but at the same, uh, the flip side of it is, if you kind of move that bar too far the other way, you're going to start missing missing polyps. So we want to um, make sure that we're finding the the toughest, the most difficult to find polyps, because uh, those are the ones that that, that, that are going to be missed. Um, uh, but we also need to make it as usable and uh, as as possible. And I think we've uh, managed to find a, a, a really nice balance uh, with those. Um, between those things, um, we've uh, uh, and we were able to do that by working really, really closely with um, with with, with uh, doctors from a from a you know large range of backgrounds. So you know, doctors at the beginning of their career and and, and very very experienced doctors. Um, there are other polyp detection systems out there on the market, um, and uh, some of them are are you know get a lot of false false positives. Um, and, and, you know, we hear that feedback. We, we put our system into one place and there was a doctor who was doing his first ever uh, procedure on, on his own. First, you know, just just crossed that threshold. And he'd heard about one of the competitor systems. And he said he didn't want to use our system because he'd heard that AI has a lot of false, uh, false positives. And, and it, um, it, it, he didn't want the distraction. And we said, look, uh, we showed him a couple of videos, we talked him through it, and he used our system, and he was just blown away by it. He said, yeah, it's great. It doesn't distract me. I was really comfortable using it, and, and he wanted to keep using it. So 
it's um it's always a balance um but i i think what we're able to do and again it comes back to working with the cloud we're at the end of any procedure we can go and review with a doctor how many um how many false positives there have been how many detections there have been we can show them everything that happened during that that procedure so so it's really important um what we've got in ours which is um a little bit different from from some of the other systems out there is that we we are, we provide a pedal so so the doctors can actually turn the system on and off when, when they want it so when you're doing therapy you don't really want to know there's a polyp there you you can see it so you can turn the system on and then once you've completed that phase you you can bring it back and um uh, and start the detection when you're doing your exploration again wonderful and just a technical question um it actually just occurred to me um does the system work underwater if you're doing emerging colonoscopy or something like that Right, so we don't make any claims about it being uh, able to work uh, uh, underwater. Um, so, so um, uh, it's um, it's not something that that through the regulatory frameworks we we've gone through to to make statements about. Um, once it's out there being used, though, doctors are going to use it how they want to use it. Um, and you know, we've seen some underwater cases, and and we we don't see a dramatic difference in in performance. I mean, again, if if you can't see. Right, it's the same if if you've got a, um, a very poor bowel prep. If you can't see for whatever reason, then then you know you, you're not going to be able to see the polyps. But if, if if you can see clearly, then then you can see the polyps. Right. Another question that I always think about when I talk about AI and endoscopy and colonoscopy, um, there have been some work in in making colonoscopes that have a 360 degree camera or um, a larger camera, and they really didn't hit it off. I guess, you know, technically physicians are going to have a hard time adjusting to scope like this, but I could see a lot of potential for using something like that with AI. Are you guys working on anything like that at all at this time? Right. So I, I completely agree with everything you said there, right? You, you want to have a big, big field of view. And, and from our discussions with doctors, the reason these systems didn't take off was it's just too much information to, to process at once. Um, and, uh, and and what a great um, uh, use for AI to come in and, and kind of be able to look around the corners and, and see it. So we, we don't develop hardware ourselves. So that's not something we're, we're building. Uh, and, and there are already great, great you know, systems out there doing these kind of things. So it's, it's a really natural um, uh, application of, of polyp detection, for, for example. Or, or any kind of disease detection, and um, I think it makes a lot of a lot of sense. There's still a challenge, though, in how you de you, you deliver that information to the doctors during uh, um, the procedures. Um, due to the fact that those scopes aren't prevalent, they're not you know really out there in a big way at the moment. Um, it's not something that that we've um, uh, dedicated much time to. Um, so you know we, we're really interested in what we are really excited about is is when a doctor can just switch on our system and use it with their existing uh, scopes and stacks without having to go through you know a, a whole bunch of different training a whole bunch of different uh, capital expense um, purchases just to be able to use the the artificial intelligence um, and again that comes back to that cloud piece again which is um, 
which is really exciting, not, not just in the, the capability of the technology that we can bring, but also in the way we bring it financially into a center, because we're able to bring that in in a very easy, cost-effective way where a hospital can go, yeah, you know what, we want to try that technology. Can, can we maybe buy X number of cases and, and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll experience it and we'll try it. Or maybe you've got one room where you only do about a third of its its colonoscopy. And, and you, do you really want to buy an expensive box to, to sit there? And, and, and you know, it, it's it, trying to um, do the healthcare economics on that. It, it takes a long time to get your, your kind of um, money back on that. But we can go in there and say, yeah, sure, you, whatever you want to use, we can provide you that on a on a per case on a on a subscription based um, uh, system. And so it's really about getting the technology to the doctors where when they need it and where they need it at the right times. Wonderful, wonderful. And just a curious question that just uh, popped up when you were talking about the subscriptions. Are you guys providing subscriptions based on case volume right now or based on time or what is it based on these days? Yeah, we, we base it on um, on volume of procedures, right? So that, that basically means we, we can provide, you know, so, some in the UK, the average number of colonoscopy rooms is, is three per hospital, but we have ones that go up to kind of 10. And so it, it allows us to come into those um, uh, those hospitals and, and, and really make bespoke, tailored healthcare economic models to say, look, this is the number of procedures you do. This is th- this is how it's going to impact your 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 your, your healthcare economics. And and that's a really um, flexible and exciting thing that, that comes from using the cloud, because it's it's the same as any kind of subscription you have for your your Netflix or your your whatever it might be, Spotify or whatever it is. And, and why shouldn't you have that? Um, if you have it for everything else in your life. Absolutely. So since our audience is is mainly going to be um, physicians, particularly gastroenterologists, what role did physicians play in your endeavor? The doctors that we work with are really at the center of the development we, we've done. Um, and the technology had been developed at... Uh, so Odin is a spin-out from University College London. Um, and... It's a spin-out from the, the Wellcome Trust and EPSRC Centre for Surgical Sciences. And that's a centre that brought together doctors and technical people, put them in the same building and it put them sitting desks next to each other. And it was through those interactions, it was through that kind of shared understanding and learning that the technology started to be developed and, and started to, to take off. And the doctors involved in this were, were involved way before I came on to, to transition it. They were the ones that were saying, this is the clinical application. Here, you know, this is the data. Here's the data. They've collected it. They've annotated it. They've um, given their, their input all along the way to guide the type of applications we're building and the um, uh, um, and provide the clinical insight as, as well. So we work incredibly closely with, with doctors. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were sitting next to them every day, and, and that's incredibly uh, that that really accelerates the way that that, that you are able to develop technology. Um, we adapted uh, the way we work uh, um, during the pandemic. We're all working remotely, and and but we still keep that really strong connection, speaking to them daily, weekly, um, to get their input into things. What's 
really important as well is when you start to put it into hospitals and you start to see people using it and and, and um, getting the feedback from the doctors uh, during those points as well. That's critical to um, um, to to how we continue to develop it and, and make it as usable and 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 adoptable as as possible and take away those barriers so that we can really get that technology for benefit to the doctors, the payers, and 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 ultimately the patients as as well. Wonderful. And what can physicians do to become more involved, more supportive? Um, and how can be can we be more helpful to people like you and your colleagues that are building things that can actually help patients, that can actually change the way uh, that we practice and change outcomes for uh, our patients out there? Well, uh, at Odium, we 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 built what we call the machine learning factory, and the whole idea of this is that we can keep building new clinical applications based on on artificial intelligence and cloud computing. And a a great example is um, we we had two doctors reach out to us um, uh, in the middle of last year and say, look, I've got this really exciting clinical application. Um, I I really think we can can work on this. We want to take what you've done in this area. We want to apply it to this, this new area. And so we started having meetings with them. We got really excited about it. And we're starting to build those, those prototypes now where we, we've got um, uh, approval for a study for, for data collection for, for two new areas now. And, and really those doctors are the ones that are driving those things forward. Um, they're excited by the technology. We're excited by the, the clinical application. Uh, and we see ourselves as really being in the service of the clinical community to build the tools that that, that you want. Um, so you can reach out to us uh, via LinkedIn. You can reach out to us via via Twitter. If you go on to our homepage, at, um, if you Google Odin Vision, go on to our homepage, you're, there, there's a form on there. You can fill it out and say, I'm really excited about this area. Or, you know, I, I, I want to see a demo of your caddy. I want to see a demo of CADU. And, and, and we'll we'll make that happen. Um, so if you want to reach out, we 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 really um, uh, we really love working with with enthusiastic, uh, great great doctors, great clinicians. So please reach out to us. We're we're really excited. That's really wonderful. I'm I'm always excited when when I see this interaction, um, and it always tells me that for physicians, whenever you have an idea that you think is really good that could really work. Don't just let it die. Speak it up. Find the right person and share it with, and maybe something will come out of it. All right. So a question that I always ask entrepreneurs out there, you know, I've recently seen um, the Matrix movie with my wife. She hadn't seen it before. Um, And there's always that scene where they hook him up to that machine and 10 minutes later, they run an algorithm. 10 minutes later, he's like, oh, I know Kung Fu. So say that... Peter, I hook you up to that machine, and uh, 10 minutes later, you wake up and you know everything there is to know about, about medicine, um, and you get an MD degree. What would distinguish you from other physicians out there based on all the experience that you've had as an entrepreneur? Um, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think um, uh, one of the things I, I, I love about um, the, the, the machine learning side of things, the, the AI side of things is, is data. Um, and you have to be so close to that data. You have to, you, you have to see it. You have to live it um, day in, day out. So 
I, I like to think I would be in the data. I like to think I'd be data driven. You know, it's it's um it's very much a, a I think you know when you're a doctor, you're kind of um you're you, you know you, you go through your education, you go through your practical training, and it's phenomenal. You know the things that can be picked up and and, and done, but often. I think it's it's even more incredible because you don't have access to the kind of data that, you know, I you you would necessarily think a, a doctor has access to. So I, I think that's a, a really phenomenal thing. So I think I'd like to think that I would be right in there with the data, um, you know, tr trying to do make data driven decisions. Um, but it's a, a super hard <laughs> question to answer. No, but I, I love it. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the time as physicians, we get lost in the practical aspects of, uh, of medicine and especially in GI, you know, once physicians go into private practice, they get kind of stuck behind the endoscope or colonoscope um, and they scope in all day, uh, focusing on that. And, and sometimes we forget to look at the data. And, and that's really a cool thing because that's where a lot of progress happens um, is uh, noticing things in the data. And that's really cool. All right. So what advice would you give physicians that are interested in, in advancing their field through technology and through innovation? Uh, it would really be get out there and talk to people. Reach out to people on um, social media, uh, as I said before, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, even uh, so, so what we often see happening is, you know, someone will reach out to me and, and, and it's, maybe it's not quite the right area, but I know a lot of people building technology so I can put you in touch with, with someone who can help you. And it works the other way. We've had people, you know, pushed our way because um, they've approached someone else and, and um, they've ended up talking, talking to us. I think there's, um, you know, a huge amount of technology that can be applied to these areas and, and people developing these technologies are, are really looking for for applications that they're, they're super excited by um the 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 opportunity to help patients the opportunity to help doctors so it's really about getting out there and and, and talking to people and and i think um it's never been easier to do that uh online it's never been easier to do that um, um through social networks as as well um i miss the I miss the conferences. Um, the the conferences are a great place to network, a great place to meet people, and hopefully we'll we'll get back to that. Um, but but also, you know, uh, I I always like going to a conference that's a little bit um, out of my comfort zone. So um, going going to a slightly different uh, one, maybe going going to a technical conference for for doctors, uh, always uh, always uh, um, uh, good to kind of step out of your comfort zone a little bit there. That's really wonderful advice. A lot of the time we get kind of stuck in our own bubbles. Um, we, we talk to physicians and not just, just physicians. We only kind of get stuck talking to physicians in our field and sometimes in our subfield. And, and I see that all the time. Uh, physicians kind of, you know, they develop relationships together and then they get stuck in, in that very small bubble. But expanding your horizons by talking to people from different fields, from different areas can actually be super helpful. And there are a lot of different schools here in the country who are actually working at, you know, working really hard on getting people from different fields in the universities together. So, you know, medical students and engineering students, bioengineering students, in order to stimulate them to kind of work together towards building things that uh, may be super useful. And these kinds of environments, I personally find to be super stimulating um, and, and really helpful. 
absolutely. I think the biggest challenge uh, I see for, for doctors who, who want to pursue that technology is trying to carve out time to do it, um, especially at the moment when, you know, we, we've got backlogs, uh, uh, you know, huge backlogs for, for screening, huge backlogs for, for endoscopy, for surgery, for, for everything. So trying to carve out that time to be able to apply, to, to, to really focus on things it is incredibly difficult. So we're kind of close to wrapping things up. I wanted to ask you a question about different companies that are building AI software for um, endoscopy, colonoscopy. You know, what makes you different? What makes Odin Vision different than all these other companies? And, and why should we be looking particularly at Odin Vision? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think I spent about a decade at, at, at Siemens Healthcare and we, we were building lots and lots of different machine learning applications. And then we were deploying them into hospitals on um, hardware boxes that were kind of, you know, a couple of years old, five years old, 10 years old. And um, that's a kind of really tough thing to do. Uh, and it's really, um, let's say the what we call the old world business model now, right? It's the old world model of doing things. Um, what you want to do and, and what we see everywhere else in the technology world is cloud. And being a, not relying on everyone having a computer that's, that's really powerful, it's really about jumping over that and being able to access really huge um, amounts of computational power and future-proofing your your um, AI purchase, let's call it your your AI um, uh, support for 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 endoscopy. Uh, I really think if, if, you know every other company out there is 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 making software, right? And then they're putting it on a box and they're selling it to people like it's a piece of hardware, and that's not that's not how it is, right? It is a piece of software and it's using the hardware to to make it happen. So let's you know let's just clear that out and just go let's get this data to the cloud let's make it uh, let, let's access that those supercomputers let's make it future proof so we can do you know you're not going to worry about that box looking really really old in a year in two years time um, and and let's access that power so we can do so many more things than just detecting a, a, a polyp um, and so for us, it's the really thing that, that, that we're excited about and differentiates us from, from others is, is that cloud element. Um, and it differentiates us in, in terms of technology, but it also differentiates us in, in the way we can make our healthcare economics work as well, because we come in with subscription models per, per case uh, uh, business models. Um, we can come in in a totally different way and, and have completely different conversations about how we bring that, that technology in a cost-effective way into, into hospitals to support patients and to support doctors as well. So that's the thing we're, we're super excited about. If, if you want to just line up our features against the other competitors that are out there, we, we've got way more features. So, you know, the people out there doing detection, we're doing detection, we're doing characterization, we're doing cecum detection, we're doing bowel prep scoring. Um, so we're doing all of these, the, these, these features and we've got more that are coming into the, the, the system. And, and because we're via the cloud, we can update those you, 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 at a click of a button and you see that on your, uh, your system uh, the next time you switch it on as well. That's a really wonderful answer. I do think that being cloud-based is really, really a cool thing. 
All right, I think we're kind of coming to the end of our time here. So let's kind of end on a on a lighter note. Tell us, what's your favorite movie, Peter? My my favorite movie is actually The Matrix. Oh. So you. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that was uh, a great a, a great movie. Uh, uh, I actually didn't know what the movie was. We we we, we went. I went in completely blind to see it and, and was totally blown away uh, by it. So uh, that's probably my my favorite movie. Although um, uh, I've got two young kids, so if you look at my Netflix, you might think it's probably uh, Cars or, or Toy Story. But uh, there we go. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Last question is. For our listeners who are excited about Odin Vision, who want to learn more about it, uh, what's the best place to learn about it? Yeah, so you can go to our website. So if you Google Odin Vision, you'll, you'll find our website. Um, you, you can go there and you, you can learn about our products and you can uh, contact us. There's a, a contact form on there. Uh, so, so you can drop us a, a message that way. If you want to see the latest um, uh, uh, news from us, the best place is LinkedIn or, or Twitter. Um, so, you know, we're posting updates on there regularly and, and you know, follow us on, on those those channels. And if you want to reach out to us, uh, you send us a DM. And, and if you want to speak directly to me, I, I'm on those platforms as well. So so please reach out. We're, we're always looking uh, for, you know, enthusiastic uh, doctors to, to work with. Wonderful. And I, I do follow your page and um, it, it's really cool. I love seeing the updates. Congratulations. I uh, recently saw that you guys uh, were selected in the Invest Horizon uh, pitching competition in uh, Europe. And that's really, really great, great work, you guys. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, Peter. Thank you for joining us today. Really, really glad that I could have you and speak with you. Super interesting conversation and uh, we hope to have you in the future. Take care. Well, great. Thank you very much. Your pleasure is really mine. And, and thank you again for, for inviting us on. And that concludes our episode of the GI Startup Podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or requests, please don't hesitate to contact me personally. You can reach me at my Twitter or LinkedIn or even email. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. It'll really help us out in creating additional content. Thank you and goodbye.